Good morning, and welcome to Breakfast and Furious. This is your official spoiler warning, and also your warning that unfortunately, my part-time co-host Julie Duffy could not make it today, so this is a Jimmy and Friends episode. You have been warned. Let's go for a ride. sushi with your wasabi good morning everyone and welcome to breakfast and furious this is jimmy here and today we're talking about tokyo drift uh, unfortunately julie couldn't be with us this week but i am joined by two of the biggest gamers and weebs i could find uh, please welcome to the show david roper nolan and paul miller good morning dave good morning paul good morning jimmy oh hi jimmy Cullen. ah so that <laughs> Pleasure to be here, Jimmy. Thanks for having us. Uh, getting a direct line from the uh, the otaku pad in Tokyo City. Uh, you guys are living together in the otaku pad over course. Yeah, we're in a penthouse apartment in Akihabara. Uh, I'm looking at David now. We're recording in the same room. He is in a full set of samurai armor, and I'm wearing a silk kimono that's two sizes too small. And tell me, uh, do you, do you uh, eat a traditional Japanese breakfast in, in the otaku pad? Uh, yeah, traditional Japanese breakfast is what? Rice and miso? Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I dabble with a bit of, uh, you know, I have a little bit of my little bento boxes for breakfast. Mm. Everything's nicely uh, ordered and stuff, but usually it's like beans and then some rice and then some like yeah. fucking ramen in there too. You, you gotta know, get the protein up. in there. I gotta be. And did you have that for breakfast this morning or what, what are you guys chowing down on today? I went for more of a uh, occidental delight this morning, actually. I changed it up a little bit. Uh, I went for uh, the classic uh, too many Weetabix and a bunch of fruit where the bowl is overflowing with uh, five Weetabix bars and then shitloads of fruit on the side. So I was trying to really live like the the, the gaijins of old, really, and uh, trying to get my protein intake by just throwing fucking peanut butter on there, too, as a real as a real Westerner should. <laughs> That's balanced, David. That sounds great. It actually what sounds quite say? imbalanced in a... Uh, it sounds like it was falling out of the bowl. Oh, most definitely. But the thing was, I do get to have my ramen moment at the end where I oh. take the, the bits of the Weetabix and I just do the <laughs> loud slurps for dinner breakfast etiquette. Oh, sigourney. <laughs> it's a little mukbang thing I'm trying. A lot of people really hate it when people drink the milk from the bowl of breakfast cereal. I, I can't imagine not doing it. Well, Jimmy, after waste. last week, you were so effusive about milk. I'd be surprised if uh, you didn't do it. I, do, I, I, I personally am at a fan... Unless you're having like a chocolate-based cereal, then it's then I go into town on the bad boy. And you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't touch milk otherwise. Like you wouldn't have a glass of milk with your with your dinner. That is uh, no. I hated milk growing up, like to the point yeah. where my parents thought I would have calcium deficiency, and they would say, <laughs> "You're not getting your pocket money this week until you drink a glass of milk," because we're worried you're gonna get brittle bones. I don't know why they're worried about that because I never played any sports or went outside. I was zero risk of uh, bones breaking unless uh, we're talking about thumbs absolutely smashing the Street Fighter pad. But, uh... <laughs> so wait, wait, you're telling me you got paid to drink milk? 
Oh, no, no, no. I didn't get paid. Yeah, that's, damn that's it. That's like a dream. That's my dream come true. Yeah. And I wasn't like sponsored by uh, Avonmore or anything. No, it was literally my parents were like, you don't get your pocket money. You're like two euro for the week to buy sweets with unless you drink a little bit of full fat. Some weeks I would refuse. I really, I hated that much. Even now, like the thought of drinking like a glass of straight milk is like, ugh. like you, my cereal is dry. Is that what you had Damn. this morning? Dry cereal? No, actually, uh, I did not have dry cereal. Since I work working during the week, I'm kind of usually have a brush breakfast and pretty poster, very, very dry cereal. On the weekends, I like to take a very, very drawn out breakfast. So I made kind of my deluxe kind of vegetarian fry. Ooh, that was nice. uh, have some eggs, some halloumi, some hash browns. Sometimes didn't have it today, but I usually have a bit of avocado on the side or some mushrooms. Uh, and it's a treat. The only thing keeping me sane. I just realized we got three veggie boys on the pod today. Oh. Hey, that's worth celebrating, hey. I think. Yeah. That's true. Job, that's guys. true. Hey, I, I, that is true. I have, I have faltered in my gamers. I'm sorry to let you down, but I have faltered to some degree. And sometimes when I'm having food out, I will blow my wad on something of a uh, on something of a, a shitty burger. <laughs> So That's fair. honestly, I drink so much milk, I might as well be killing cows. So, <laughs> oh, Jesus, yeah. um, no, Jimmy, that's okay. You know, milk, uh, I was about to say walnut, no, almond milk, that's pretty bad for the environment, not as bad as a cow, but still, yeah, you know, I don't, I, listen, I, I can't, I can't, you can't I do can't anything right. Us. Uh, that's so sorry, true. that's the royal you. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Uh, for my breakfast this morning, I for the movie that's in it, I did Google traditional Japanese breakfast, and you're right, Paul. It's usually boiled or steamed rice, a miso soup, and some sort of protein like beans or fish. Uh, but that just sounded like too much for me in the morning. So I kind of um, I want to say westernized, but I'm more like I sort of bastardized it. I instead of rice, same colonized. thing, Jimmy. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing. So fair. <laughs> Instead of rice, I had a little rice crispy square for the protein. I had some baked beans on toast. And uh, then instead of soup, I had a little soup called a caramel latte. Oh, oh, very nice. A delight. A delight. Hey, they, listen, massive fans of uh, coffee in uh, Japan as well. Yeah. Oh, is that right? That's true. Is there big a lot of cold coffees. Oh, yeah, There's you get a big, coffee in a, a can. a lot of like uh, coffee in a can, like vending machine coffee. You just throw some yen in there and you get some coffee. Which I think kind of slaps, to be honest. And they also, that that kind of crosses over as well to Australia, too, where they have a lot more, you know, bottled and canned coffees. When I was living abroad, I got really into the canned, like, cold Americano. That really gets you going during the day, like, at lunchtime. But it's, it's a in Japan, fun. they love the milky, like, canned coffees. And I think that's a little, that's maybe one or two steps too far. I'm saying this is a man who has never been to Asia. <laughs> Wait a second. What about the otaku pad? <laughs> oh, that doesn't count. That's actually technically a uh, enclave in the city. Uh, is that the embassy? Yeah, that is. <laughs> it's the it embassy is. for uh, weeaboo culture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're not allowed to leave the grounds. We just stamp passports and send people out to the Harajuku district. That's pretty much it. It's 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 tragic. <laughs> as the We're our as, own prefecture. As the weeaboo ambassadors, is it fair to say that the two of you have a, a healthy interest in Japanese culture? The I think healthiest. it's gotten healthier, definitely. There was a, I don't know about you, David, but there was a point maybe when I was 15, 16, I could have gone down a, uh, a dark path. 
Well, uh, if, if a little too into it. Um, if we're talking dark paths, uh, let me show you something of my own dark past. Uh, I've got a little something here. I literally have forgotten about this until now, but uh, this was a present from a partner, and uh, she had not seen this show yet, so she didn't know how fucked up this was because these characters are 14. But it's a body pillow, dude. Oh my god. Oh my god. This is a full double fucking... sided. Oh, I'm gonna for the yeah, listener, uh, this is a this is actually objectively gross. Uh, this, this is, is a body is, pillow face for, are... for from Ray and Asuka from Neon Genesis Evangelion. Great characters. Um, that's, that's really horrible. Oh I know, God, right? David. That this was the thing. No, no. So, so my partner got this for me a few years back, right? I have never used it. I mean, listen. If it was a Masato one, that'd be something different. But like these characters are thirteen. Can, these can characters are thirteen. I will say just on that note, I did have a friend making me a custom mask. She was making custom masks at the start of the uh, pandemic, and I got a Asuka mask made. Um, Yo. <laughs> Asuka's best girl, but yeah, that's a little weird. Uh, that is actually oh, that's the dark path I was definitely. talking about, Jimmy. Of uh, mm. I, I don't own a body pillow, uh, and I sincerely hope I never will. Uh, where, where do you think the line is between uh, an interest in Japanese pop culture and the dark path you're talking about? Maybe talking about it in public. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I think. I think it has to do with once you get into. Because I had bought. I have a, a unit one figure from that I imported from Japan when I was like sixteen because I was a fucking we, like major weeb. But if I got like it, when you start getting like female character figures and they're hypersexualized and you beat off over them like people do with amiibos, I think that's that's <laughs> the bridge. But. Um, Sorry, do you you guys know about that, right? I, <laughs> Just, yeah, I yeah. know about Amiibos. Um, I don't know. I did know about Amiibos as well. Like, oh, that's, doing that's that to Mario thing. and like Link. They're doing it. There is there is there is definitely subreddits and like pages on on V that are just those same figures, but covered unfortunately so anyway nice. i think i think i think i think there's a spending threshold that does it and like an engagement once, once you have too many dating sims like i never really got into the dating sims i tried the um hot boyfriend which is the one where you're uh, everyone's birds uh, oh, which okay. was like this is fun this is playful mm-hmm. and then i tried another one and i was just like this is fucked up like people are getting off to this but it is like everyone is school age and also you're in a school for people with different disabilities so it's like dude oh my God. someone has no legs and so, i mean the writing is apparently very good but i was just like i can't fucking hack this dude i don't want to get i don't want to go down romance routes just to see like half a nipple you know but these people like not these people these are my people but you know (laughs) but no i i feel like i feel like there's a deep end that you can go off so quickly where you're just like man i'm a big fan of this like you know anime stuff really cool real fun real great and you're like damn these anime baddies are actually pretty fly looking and then you start spending like 50 euro on a body pillow because the thing was the great thing was my partner hadn't did had no idea what the show was the rest of the fucking body film i think what are they called um oh daki makara that's the word uh the japanese name for the but my partner was looking for these and she found them in the end but this that one there where they're both like 14 and like this is the most innocent of the bunch and like it's it's not like that is the most innocent of them the rest of them are 
it, it's it's crazy. Okay, David's There's a lot of culture stuff. Given a bit more of a glimpse into the dark side, I was talking about than I thought. <laughs> um, I was thinking along the lines of spending more than you know two or three hours a day watching anime, or spending more than five hundred euro a year on manga. Yeah, I, I, I kind of went in hard. Apologies. <laughs> I'm a, yeah, after hearing that, maybe I'm not as much a weeb as I thought. You know, <laughs> I think there was a point definitely when we were growing up, people in our kind of age bracket, where there was the like definite like Japanese invasion of kind of popular culture of like when we were young it was the first time that like dubs of like Dragon Ball Z and Yu-Gi-Oh were like being brought in and uh, like then as well like for people slightly older it's like Cowboy Bebop and like Samurai Jampoo were being shown on TV for the first time and so I think like everyone I knew growing up had a passing interest in it or like everyone I knew when I was like 10 watched Dragon Ball Z and watched Yu-Gi-Oh and then I think the weeb path was pushing that a little bit beyond the envelope of it, you know? Once you start reading the manga and then once you start like being like, ooh, I like Naruto, but what's Shonen Jump? And it's like, oh, I'm gonna start reading every one of these mangas that is collected yeah. in the magazine. And it's like, oh, you like, you're talking to people who's like, oh yeah, Naruto's kind of cool. And then you're like, yeah, but you like Yu Yu Hakuchuko? Um, <laughs> which is still a pretty basic one for anyone who's into anime. But you take one step into that world that it's like to the outside it's like you may as well be like uh, living in a game i think i think i think there's a there's a good point there when you get into the more kind of niche ones but i feel like the main genre that separates the weebs from the boys is the slice of life show like once you get into slice of life shows or shows where it's just cute girls doing cute things you're just kind of like this is degeneracy you know you're sliding down <laughs> into you're sliding down slowly and you're just like i spend so much of my time looking at cute anime girls i haven't been there myself i'm just saying from an outsider's point of view from an outsider's point of view no but i think i think once those life slice life shows kick off and you're fully into that and then you get fully into weeb culture and you're just like oh yes this is uh i'm going to only eat whatever beautiful anime food that's in my favorite show and stuff it it just it does become a lifestyle then well speaking of sliding down the cultural <laughs> pole tell me do either of you have any sort of history with the fast and furious franchise would you believe it jimmy i think this is the only fast and furious film i had a history with we're talking about fast and furious tokyo Drift. Because I don't know about you, David, or Jimmy as well, but where I was growing up, this film had like a, a, a intense cultural impact. Absolutely. Uh, it, like independent of the other Fast and Furious films. I think the only other, other one I've seen is the first one, which I saw when I was very, I would have been maybe like 10 or 11. And I remember my brother watching it and I kind of half watching it with him. But this one, like, I remember once when I was like maybe 14 or 15 being in school on like the last few days before summer break and voting on like a film to watch in class. And it was a unanimous vote for Fast and Furious Tokyo. Yo! <laughs> and it's actually, we'll get into this when we talk more in depth with the film, but it's such a good film to watch in school because mm. 40 minute class, the first 40 minutes of this film, I just knock out a punch amazing. <laughs> uh, but the cultural impact was huge. Like I was watching this again and I was like, oh, so that's why everyone did their hair like that for like a year or two. Like uber gelled hair, kind of like bordering on having anime hair where it's like really, really spiked on the top and then you kind of have a very dramatic fringe. Bordering you on what, that hairstyle yourself? I definitely toyed with it, but I did have a friend growing up from Hong Kong who like knew how to do that like perfectly. 
and would get like imported products from Hong Kong to like make his, and he would do it like perfectly. And I was oh. like, I'm just gonna look like I'm copying this guy, so I'm just <laughs> not gonna really commit to this um, at all. This look, but like watching this film, I was like, that's what people were trying to look like with like outfits. Or did you guys growing up in uh, Ireland in the uh, mid 2000s have the Spicer subculture? Spicer subculture? I, I did not. I found out about Spicer subculture later on because I was in Wicklow. The main thing, the main influence from from Tokyo Drift was fucking boy racers were just fucking picked mm-hmm. up after that in a good way or a bad way because there are a few people were uh, injured and or died but like in terms of but this like this movie i think is a great embodiment of that thing where it's just like you know that fucking brody who's supposed to be 17 um isn't like this is this is probably not a good thing like you know but he's just like i'm going at it. he's like a real joe biden like i'm going at it with my whole heart you know i got my whole heart in the game baby <laughs> like talking to his dad but I, I think like this does have it is a kind of a punk thing between like the kind of the japanese subculture thing and also the boy racer subculture it's just like there is a, a nice intertwining there i think definitely as well the kind of cars in this film and the way they kind of like presented is way more suited to a european perspective than the kind of other Fast and Furious films because they're not like everyone drives like big muscle cars in those ones which just like don't exist in Europe but in Tokyo Drift it's like people are driving like fucking Nissans and shit Nissans and stuff (laughs) which was actually what people I knew would drive and then they were like wanted to drive uh, I'm buying some fucking spoilers, boys. Let's go. Can I get Nos on this, please? <laughs> Everyone was fucking crazy about Nos. Everyone was talking about Nos. Not even for snorting. They were just talking about like, yo, I want to push a button and make my car die faster. This is great. Like, there was rumors around like everywhere in school. Like, it's like, did you hear this guy? He's got Nos installed. He's got a hook up in in Belfast. He like <laughs> smuggles in Nos canisters for him. Uh, uh, sorry paul to come back to this but what exactly is a is a spicer i'm not sure if we had those in leash or if i was just ignorant of them maybe this is, i remember this being like a really hyper online kind of subculture i think it's something we should really revisit in this kind of a, a age where like it was a holy internet subculture based almost solely on bebo in dublin and the kind of uh, surrounding areas but the look of a spicer was Hyper gelled hair in that kind of a, a Tokyo Drift style where they have a really dramatic sweeped fringe with like a lot of kind of like loose strands and then like Sonic the Hedgehog kind of style spikes all around on the top of the dome. So it'd be a very dramatic shift in textures of a really smooth kind of fringe hitting a very dramatic angle and then like all these spikes. Boys would always look quite feminized. It was almost borderline what became like emo hair, but like completely unconnected, like different music. The music was always like kind of really uh, the next kind of step from like DJ Cami and things like that, like uh, mm. chipmunk voice vocals and really, really hard bass. And those uh, fucking chipmunk voice. Thing. I had yeah. so many of those files on my phone and the Tokyo Drift song as well by yeah. Terry. I was just and the, the, the Tokyo Drift song was incredibly yeah. important. To I the movement. Think, but yeah, the, the but look a... was uh, Adidas original tracksuits and the oh, dancing yes. was shuffling. Speaking of the song and jumpstart. Think... For me. Jump style, exactly, dude. I know that. I know. I know what you're talking about. I've seen it. The flat ass, short ass fringe. Then the fucking like straight up. I've played football with and against those people, and damn, they go for you. Sides <laughs> of the battlefield. We were big into <laughs> jump style in my housing estate. Um, I could never do the solo jump style, but I could do the two person jump style, and I still can to this day. 
It's a shame I'm not there with you guys. We could uh, we could bust out a few moves. Well, you're a better dancer than I, Jim. Speaking of the song Tokyo Drift by the Teriyaki Boys, incredible song, really holds up. And uh, for me, that was the biggest part of the Tokyo Drift cultural impact in uh, 2006, I think, when this film came out. That was mm-hmm. it was huge. It was a huge. It, it was that's fucking bop though, dude. Absolutely, like, it is genuinely. I think it's definitely like in the kind of uh, current cultural moment we're in with the kind of pop sound like you got your Rina and like gang, uh, Charlie XCX mm. I think definitely the Tokyo Drift song and the Teriyaki Boys need a kind of cultural reappraisal because hey. there was a guy in my school a, pol- a guy uh, his name was Wukash he was from Poland but he knew like all the lyrics to the opening bit uh, where it's the girl singing mm. and we would like pay him to sing it <laughs> <laughs> he was like using your milk money <laughs> yeah I- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would like bug my nose and then like chug a pint of milk and be like, I gotta hear Wukash uh, uh, knock this out of the park for the Teriyaki Boys. I didn't know that they were called the Teriyaki Boys. And I remember looking it up being like, I really hope these guys are Japanese. I really hope they're Japanese. And, like, <laughs> a bunch of Americans doing voices because it really could have gone a very, very bad way. Well, that's actually... It's interesting you mentioned that because there is something about all the Fast and Furious films I've seen so far where it does seem they're not as white as I was expecting, I guess is the way to put it. And um, there is uh, so much diversity in each film that doesn't feel forced. It feels very natural. It doesn't feel like it was mandated or anything like that. And I looked into it, every director who's directed a Fast and Furious film, except for the first one and the spin-off Hobbs and Shaw, is a person of color, which is a great record for a blockbuster franchise. Like, I can't think of any other big franchise that isn't just directed by a huge majority of white men. So, you know, (laughs) even though they do have their problems in terms of, um, particularly this one, which we'll get into later, I noticed a few problems in terms of how women are represented, but there is... Dude, I fucking... (laughs) This shit shit rocks for that, man. This is straight up 2000s, late 90s, fucking post-feminism. Let's fucking go. Paris Hilton is a queen. Let's fucking fly to the moon right now. I love it. I mean, it's just so... It's so... Like, it's self-aware in some ways, but it's just like... It's just... It's ascended in that fucking trash way, you know? Sorry, I was just going to say, I just read an interview with Justin Lin, the director, and he was brought on based uh, on another film called Better Luck Tomorrow. But uh, he said, uh, I didn't want to do it because the original draft of the script was incredibly offensive as an Asian man. Wow. Gross. Oh, ch- and even then, I don't think it's a great film on uh, really, like, I do think it's a borderline racist film, but we'll talk about that after the break. Absolutely. <laughs> we're, you know what? We're going to take a risk. We've been talking so much about the Teriyaki Boys theme song. We usually play Owen Potts' theme song while we lead into the break, but uh, let's give it a go. We're going we're gonna to blast out Teriyaki Boys here for a few seconds, see if we can get away with it. And Dave, we're going to hear a little clip from you about how you made your breakfast. Yes, Very of course. Exciting. We'll be back after of course. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here today to tell you about my breakfast. Now, call me a very simple man and of uh, very boring taste, but what I go for in the morning usually, 
I reach my arm out of bed and what do I want to find there? A nice old bowl of Weedabix. But it's not only Weedabix. To diversify my intake, I like to go for some fruits on the side. Primarily uh, strawberries, blueberries, sometimes some chopped up apples, and most importantly, bananas. As Lil Bow Wow says in the film Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, Monkey hasn't had his bananas yet. So, in the same vein as that monkey, I need my bananas before I go about the day. Now, if I'm feeling very boisterous, I will throw some peanut butter in there for a little bit of extra protein, but I don't like to microwave things so much, but primarily I will go for cow's milk on the majority of my breakfast dishes, but failing that, I can subside with some almond milk if needs be. I like to serve this with a nice hot cup of black coffee, and then I'm ready to go about my day. <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. Back to you in the studio. bit about your relationship with Fast and Furious and with Japanese culture as a whole and this is the movie where they're merged together this is the third film the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift Paul as you've said you've seen this film before Dave you watched it for the first time what were your expectations going in I was expecting probably like I think there was like a, 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 enough of the Japanese culture inside of it but literally I, they actually fucking as fuck all to be honest <laughs> now that i think about it i'm just like he has he gets given out to for taking his shoes off and that's pretty much it and like the yakuza stuff being mentioned is there mm. but like it, it, the yakuza thing in general is such a you know a, an overarching like well-known thing at this point where it's like oh it's the japanese mafia and it's like well not really but you know <laughs> so it, it definitely had less of the full culture thing i thought there was going to be more food-based stuff there's a small shot i think where uh he gets his lunch in school and he's like this shit actually kind of rocks i fuck with this like goddamn, i have a fucking dumpling every fucking day bro <laughs> I don't know why he's from New York now, but for uh, for those who haven't seen it, we will be spoiling the film. So I would recommend going and watching it before you listen any further. But this, I, I, go ahead. There's Paul. so little to spoil. I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I I love this film so much, particularly the first 40 minutes, because like you said, David, yeah, there isn't a huge amount of genuine engagement with Japanese culture, but it is a uh, it is basically just a background. Like there's no names Japanese characters in <laughs> apart. As in, like, the one, the villain has, like, a nickname. Like, no one has an actual name. They're all just kind of running around and, like, dancing at things. I love the first 40 minutes of the film so much. It's so ludicrous and, like, so... It does such a good job of juxtaposing, like, America and, like, the... And, like, just in terms of look. And, like, if you watch the film from the perspective that it's all through, it's kind of like a, a parody of this ridiculous character, Sean Boswell, who is like- Oh my God. He's 43 <laughs> in high school and from <laughs> Alabama. It took me so long to realize 
this was supposed to be a high school. I was like, is this a college? But they have yellow school buses. And then yes. um, in the first race, and this will be followed up in, in almost every race in this film, the prize is a girl. Dude, <laughs> the fucking riding man. Yeah. But the girl yeah. says, looks like I got a new date to prom when it looks like Sean is winning. So they are, it's confirmed they're going to prom. They're in a high school. But Sean Boswell is the same age as the actor who plays his mother, like for sure. Oh, if not older, like he's, he's got these really raggedy hair plugs going for him. It's oh, so man. funny. I, if you haven't watched the first race of this film is Sean Boswell goes to an American school. It's so American. He's getting like. A metal detected as he's walking in and turns to look to the mascot for the school. He's like a big duck. He gives a look of like, huh, yeah, it's a living. Eh? They go into the school and the first thing that's happening, we assume this is maybe his first day at school. He doesn't seem to know anyone. We find out later he's been moved. He moves yeah. from town to town because he's always mm. getting in trouble for street racing. Um, and then the next thing he sees is the school like football team burning a uh, 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 hanging uh, like Native American mascot. We assume is their rival <laughs> school. On like a noose and then like oh my and they God, have I a, forgot they, yeah it's really intense and then they have a drag race through like a, a, a like a building site for like a new set of homes this is 2006 as well those homes in a couple of years not going to be worth anything yeah the, uh, that, that site is still where it's like at the end of that race it's so ludicrous they're in these huge muscle cars they're like flying through like pillars and like buildings are falling down they're taking massive jumps off of a like kind of like cement mixers and things like it's Genuine. There's two like both cars crashing it. A hundred percent, definitely fatal. Like, uh, yeah, they just kind of pop out afterwards. It's so excessive and like bombastic in such an American way. And then you go to Japan, and the vibe is so different. I find that it was. It felt so kind of rewarding. And the soundtrack as well. You go from fucking Kid Rock, fucking banger and a half. And then it brings you through to like the more fucking tasty teriyaki boys things. We've well, got this OTT like American thing. And then you've got the more kind of like clean and like well-produced song that is uh, <laughs> Tokyo Drift. Like, I think it was great. Yeah, it does such a, so just like the look. Because I associate, the, I've only, having seen just the first one and then, the trailers for all the other ones in the cinema like they have such a look of like la kind of shot in the desert everything's like scorched light all the time everything's kind of got a weird orange haze to it hmm. which is in this film at the start then you go to tokyo and i had to double check it's like did they film this in tokyo and they did they've like they filmed did, like yeah. half of it yeah it has like this great like the lighting is like such a different quality and you've got that great look of like neon signs in the background yeah, everything yeah, just yeah. has like it's immediate shift that it's like seeing a, 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 a like blockbuster with this kind of like lighting and just like look. The outfits are absolutely like ludicrous as well. Like all the extras are, I hope they got like paid on par with like Lucas Black. Is that his name? The guy Lucas who plays Sean Boswell. That's his name. That's his Sean name. I, I actually, after I watched this film again at the start of lockdown, so this is my second lockdown viewing of Tokyo Drift. <laughs> I had to like look it up. It's like, is Lucas Black still working? And he's like, I found his Twitter and he's like, he's kind of working. I think he made a, made a cameo in a later Fast and Furious film. But his first, his, own, his most recent tweet was, man, a bunch of people shouted at me for going fishing. This, this cure is worse than the virus. <laughs> fuck yeah i'm a big fan of lucas black lucas black just keep doing him you know he's just he is a very sean boswell is the thinking it's nearly like drive kind of thing where like if the drive guy didn't think 
or if the drive guy tried to be more charming and like did these little things where he's just like i'm sorry i only race for pink slips where he just sounds like really fucking like like odd and like you're like oh man are you, are you okay man like and creepy in some ways but then like it's the first changes. <laughs> for the first half of the film it really does feel like he's so stupid and so unlikable that like obviously a lot of people are coming like it's a bad film because of that but it really like it borders on like oh this is like it feels like a japanese parody of this is what americans are like yeah. they're so obnoxious and dumb and like no doesn't speak Japanese at all it's just like shouting at people and um, just wandering around with his big block head and expects everyone to understand him like and then it kind of like the film begins to lose me in the second half when he has to become the hero and it's like oh you're really kind of building up that this guy should fail really um no it's, it's true I, I his Japanese is my favorite thing in this whole fucking movie as well like his, his speaking of Japanese is like so fucking fun where like he's like, what'd you say about me, uh, guy Gene or something like that? And he's just like, he's like popping off, and then he's just like, uh, no. And then he's remember, and then he goes in. Sorry, are we going to blow by blow on the plot, or can I skip ahead? Um, you can skip. You can skip around if you like. One of my favorite scenes is the thing where he's looking for the guy with the claw in the sauna, right at the at the hot spring or whatever. And then he he like he comes in there. He's just wearing a towel, like looking around, like, uh, uh, me mass and uh, Okane. Okane, Sumi Masen, and then he gets yeeted out by the freaking big guy. But like all of his Japanese is like 10 out of 10. I found it interesting that Lucas Black is, uh, for the first half of the film, he's the main character and he's just so uncharismatic, like we've been saying, just <laughs> to the point that when Han is introduced, who's kind of the second main character, for so long he doesn't say anything. All he does is eat little snacks. Yes. And already I'm drawn to him. He's Han like so magnetic, so charismatic without dangerously cool. So cool. Like, he is Han a is superstar. I totally agree. I think Han, like a lot of my notes are just like Han is my husband though. Han is my husband. He's like so fucking cool in this movie throughout. Like he is like it, that's why the the third act surprise i was like oh, no but uh but like man he is just fucking so cool in this movie he's so nice he's so chill he's eating food having snacks and then my favorite part of the movie is when han when like uh sean boswell is like you're telling me you don't race for money then what do you race for and then fucking cuts to him doing donuts around some shoddies in a car. And they literally, he just skirts around them for like probably way too long. It's probably like a minute of the film is him doing donuts around this these two women's cars. And they're like not scared at all that this random fucking Ferrari has come by. And they just put a number out the thing. And he does it for love. He does it for the fucking love. What a chance. Well, it's, it's so funny because he's constantly... He for the first 40, 50 minutes of this film, there is no plot. Like, there's no <laughs> motivation. It is just pure. My notes say it's like, it's just pure vibes. And Han totally like epitomizes that. He just eats snacks, goes to party, <laughs> steals, and gets with girl. Like, there's a bit where there's supposed to be this kind of like meaningful discussion between Sean and Han, because Han uh, uh, agrees to like take on Sean as his like and drifting for he, this is the quote he says um i trust you and you've got character john has done nothing to express any of these he's things whatsoever nothing. he's to be honest there's an early scene in the film where he sees like a kid being like bullied <gasps> uh like being spray painted with like an air gun in america does nothing about it <laughs> and like then he's like no i trust you 
like Hannah's like, there's no like Mr. Miyagi wax on, wax off about this. You just got to do it, man. He's so unpretentious, pretty much. Like he literally love it. It's so refreshing to see that he just is like, I just like girls, to be honest. <laughs> Dude, it's... So and he comes off as so charismatic. Like, he does not... No, it compared he's... to, like, especially the later films in the series, having not seen them. He's hyper-macho, like, when you get, like, Jason Statham and, like, The Rock in the mix. Mm-hmm. Having, like, Han there as, like, this, like, levelling force of, like, this is the height of, like, masculinity in this film. He's just, like, nothing to prove and is great at everything. Speaking of how Han drifts to impress girls, that is a running theme in this that um, I, I sort of took note. It, I think every race, in one way or another, the prize is a girl. We've talked about the first one. The first time Sean learns what drifting is and goes up against DK, the Drift King, He's racing to impress this Australian girl he's met. Uh, then we find Han drifts around to get numbers. And then the final race is a big loser leaves town race. But really, it's for the Australian girl again. So yeah, I, that... in the previous films, me and Julie sort of established that the currency of the world is cars. All the races, the prize is a car. In this film, it seems the currency of the world is girls and taken girls at that. That's yeah. exactly, I was thinking the exact same thing because when I saw that first scene, right, the one that Paul had just talked about where there's that little larger Hispanic kid who's getting bullied and is literally getting paint onto his skin from some people. And Sean literally, there's a shot of him just looking at it and then he just goes back about his business. And I was like, okay, this is going to be the arc of Sean, where he's like, he's going to overcome this. He's going to see some injustice and do something about it, right? But then it's just about like, you know, that first time I didn't get a, I didn't get the woman after winning a race, and this time I will get a woman. And you're like, this is fucking, what happened? Why was that shot included of him looking at this poor kid getting bullied? It is very funny because, like, by the end of this film, there is no arc whatsoever because, like, at the end, <laughs> the big thing is for the final big race where they're racing on DK Mountain, but it's very clearly Mount Fuji. Like, it's like it's not trademarks. You can call it Mount Fuji. It's a Tokyo landmark. Like, just call it that. <laughs> he needs a car to race in it, and he does all their cars get confiscated by the police because there's a bust on Han's compound. So they have to, Sean is like, wait, I got an idea. And he tricks out the car that his dad who is like a a US kind of military works is a soldier based in Japan has this kind of wrecked out old kind of American muscle car and he's like we're going to turn this into a drift car which makes no sense just from an engineering perspective it's like (laughs) two feet off the ground it's got these huge tires like DK's in like this like Mazda Viana which has like the spoilers and like all the body kits and stuff it looks like a drift car and he's in this like V8 like massive like automatic car doing these drifts and the end point is he becomes the new drift king driving the same kind of cars he was driving at the start of the film having not really learned anything changed whatsoever uh it's quite he gets the girl is not the australian girl it's just like every sean boswell never does anything worthy of reward and just comes out on top at the end like he's the king of japan (laughs) My favorite car in this film is um, Lil Bow Wow's in this film. Although at this stage, yes. of he was he was just Bow Wow. He got rid of the Lil. He plays Twink. Um, yeah, unfortunate name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but his car, when it's revealed, it's like the vehicle equivalent of those foam Hulk hands you can get. <laughs> <That's> insane. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man, that is true. Yeah. He's got the massive roaring Hulk on the front of it. And I think it's, is it that scene where you get that song that's big on the internet my where the kiddo's right like. now? Yeah, oh, my yeah. life be like. I was like, this song, this fucking soundtrack is bops on bops, man. You got great music it's really funny because at that yeah. point when it's like little Bow Wow showing uh, Sean his car and he's going to these rotating uh, uh, kind of parking garage and it's like, is it this one? Is it this one? No, it's this one, the whole car. And Sean is like, this is crazy, man. It's like, uh, he's like, this is embarrassing. And he's like, at least let me drive. And I was like, this is the coolest car in the entire film. <laughs> like, I was really disappointed. I think the film really missed a trick where, like, they, they could have really leaded to the, like, ridiculousness of the cars more. Because that's a, I, I, this is an interesting Japanese uh, um subculture called do you know this david called itasha no i don't think so itasha translates as pain cars where it's cars that are like decked out in the most embarrassing anime and like manga characters where it's like they're like love notes to like characters you love like there's loads of the you like pick it out of a car like there's loads of like evangelian cars and like uh holy shit and what's it oh god what's the vr singer or the uh the hatsune miku or... yeah hatsune miku cars are really popular and it's like yeah. it's a pain car because you have to express your love for this character but they're completely decked out uh, and it's really embarrassing but there, i think there's such an opportunity there when he arrives into the kind of this party the parking garage in this hulk car to do like a pan and there's gonna be all these different gangs where like Lil Bow Wow's into like superhero car <laughs> gang, and then there's the anime car gang, and then there'll be like a gang of like samurai guys or something. That would fucking rock, dude, man. Yeah. That what what could have what could have been? Um, another lovely moment uh, when Bow Wow is first introduced. Sorry, when Twink is first introduced, the very first thing he does is try to sell Sean a pair of Michael Jordan shoes. Which uh, I thought might have been a little nod to uh, Bow Wow's big hit, Like Mike. But sad that that character is selling Michael Jordan's magic shoes. Oh, wow. That yeah, is, I didn't, I didn't think even that. think of that. That's amazing. But no, the path Sean could have gone down instead of becoming a drift racer, he could have become the best basketball player in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to assume if Little Bow Wow is selling those shoes, then uh, he must be trying to get rid of them. Maybe there's some sort of monkey mm. tall situation with the, uh, the Like Mike shoes. I was just thinking, like, because it really, it really loses steam towards the end. I don't know how you guys yeah. felt. Like, when it just becomes, like, a big build-up to, like, the straight race between DK and Sean for the car. Or for, for I literally said car instead of girl. They're literally interchangeable <laughs> in this film. No. Uh, for the inexplicably Australian girl. It's so funny the hoops they have to jump through to make sense of having no Asian, like, no Japanese yeah. characters in the central cast. That's what I was, th- I was literally, that was one thing I was thinking, I was like, this, like, Vanessa Hudge and Australian-looking type beat, like, is just such an odd choice, and I think that's probably a thing with the, like, you know, I, with the kind of Orientalist kind of slant on this film, where it's like, you know, they can't have, they can't have too many Asian main characters or anything mm-hmm. like that, so they have to make a very, especially for the audience as well, where it's like, they can't have a Southeast Asian woman being the thing, they have to be like a white lady fucking yeah. some some gaijin thing and then like her car her backstory is like hinted at solely where it's like your mother was the best uh prostitute in all of fucking whatever the fuck and i'm like this is crazy dude like <laughs> like this is i mean i guess this, this was all they needed to get dk to look like a bad guy actually because other than that dk is kind of just taking chill care guy, of business. Yeah. yeah compared to sean who's like just fucking trying to trying to piss off his dad or something the whole time <laughs> It is the funny because yeah, the, the second half of the film, 
I remember having having seen this last time when I was maybe 16. I was like, I don't think I've seen the second half of this film. And then I watched it and I remembered the Vin Diesel cameo. So I must have seen it. Mm. Yes, There's it nothing in the like turn. last hour that is like in any way noteworthy. Like there's Han's death. Spoilers, everyone. Unfortunately, Han dies. But yeah. uh, Jimmy, as you pointed out before, this is a bit of a not a spoiler for the Fast and Furious franchise because this film is the technically must happen like before yeah, Fast after, like nine after, or something. I think it's after six, is it? After or six. Yeah. So at, what happened is now I haven't seen these films, but from research, what happened is uh, Han was so popular they wanted to put him in the main Fast and Furious films. And Vin Diesel shows up at the end of this film and says that Han was part of his family. This is also the first mention of family in, in the film, which I believe is a, a big running theme. This is the first time we hear about Vin Diesel's family. So Han is in the next, I think, four films, three or four films, which means they take place before Tokyo Drift. But Tokyo Drift is so firmly set in 2006 that the timeline doesn't really add up because I feel like... No. The, the following films are not going to be like using 2005 phones or anything like that. Oh, Dude, speaking of the, phones, the fucking everything's a flip in this thing, man. Everyone's got flip phones. Literally, when the first day Sean wakes up in Japan, he has his alarm. He's like, "That's this goddamn thing," where and it's like, "It's a flip alarm," and like he literally fucking flips the alarm to open it. One of the best, like, one of the fantastic bits is at the end when they're watching the. The race on Mount Fuji. So obviously it's a race yeah. down a mountain. So there's different camps at each kind of turn watching it. How the, the everyone is watching it is they, they may do some sort of weird CGI thing, like image on the screen that shows that all of their phones are linked. So all of them have their little like Motorola razors with their kind of like two megapixel cameras and are watching the race through this. So they can see like what's happening at the top of the mountain is a live feed from their phones down to like the next stage to the next stage it makes no sense but, no, like but, but that's lines. why it is 2014 oh, this yeah. is why the film is actively set in 2014 because this technology would be would oh, didn't exist yet yeah of course um, they knew it fucking in many ways, tokyo blade. drift yeah it's a sci-fi film <laughs> it's like blade runner in terms of like uh, alternative uh interpretations of the future mm -hmm. like <laughs> i think uh what did we th think of the end of this film because it is quite a funny moment the vin diesel cameo is objectively hilarious but mm. It's so funny because he shows up as well. It makes the exact same mistake that Sean did at the beginning of pulling up to the, the car park, multi-story car park, in like an American muscle car about to do a drift race. And Sean is also in an American muscle car because he's now proved that his muscle car is better than... It's this real, like, a weird American kind of colonialism. Western, kind of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's so now these two guys are the best drifters in the world. Like, there's no more no more Japanese drift races. They, they own it now, which I found so weird. I would have really preferred that at the end, and it would have made a lot more sense if Sean was, like, in Japan, he's like, there's nothing for me here anymore. And he goes back and teaches drifting to Vin Diesel's oh. crew. Wouldn't that? I think that would be a That's better way cool. to end this thing. And I, I think you're totally right. Actually, well, the ending they have is the excuse to kind of get rid of Sean because he's a terrible character and is like really annoying and doesn't really, it's not what the Fast and Furious franchise needs, really. Mm. Uh, like they can, big, mostly idiot white men are like a dime a dozen, but like Hans, they're one in a million. I, I really was disappointed that, well, now that they're doing the 10th one, which is supposed to be the last, they never committed to a Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift 2, a second installment of this. Okay. I actually, I'm, I'm afraid, Paul, where the next Fast and Furious film that's coming out is the ninth in the series, but 10th overall, but they have planned 10 and 11 as well. 
which oh. are both going to be directed by Justin Lin, who directed this film. But they've promised that Eleven is going to be the final film. I've heard that before. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if they're going to do Eleven, and also they have like the history of doing the spin-offs with Hobbs and Shaw. Mm. Oh, Hobbs and Shaw is getting a sequel too. So that's another. Dude, Why not to double down on another Tokyo Drift one? Because yeah. I think especially now you could really go extra hard on it. Like Absolutely. I would like to see, firstly, I would like to see it with like, yeah, let's do an all Asian cast at least. Like mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. let's have like an uh, American kid again, goes to Japan, learns to drift. I want to see him like climbing the drift like ladder of the Tokyo underground. It seemed like Sean's success Dude. was a little too quick. I want to see like that same. I want a tournament arc for this fucking shit where he's like going against like, oh, this guy is the fucking snake driver, and he's like, you can see like they all have their like an anime show pretty much. Definitely, yeah. I want everyone to have a signature move. Yeah, there was a a huge um, outcry. Uh, I looked into this when Hobbs and Shaw was announced. It was quite controversial because they were trying to turn Shaw into a good guy, even though spoilers again, it turns out he's the one who killed Han. He was driving the car that killed Han. So there was a hashtag justice for Han um, because they're like, stop trying to make Shaw a good guy. He killed the best character, Han. But what if we get a Han spinoff about him as a, as a younger guy and how he became, you know, the, the dream prince he is today. That's the story. Me. Han moves to Japan because it, it is canon. Han is, hmm. firstly, he's American. He also, he has a Chinese name. He moves to Japan, learns to drift, becomes rises of, and he get his introduction. Him and DK are like childhood rivals uh, and they no. like rise up the ranks together. And then yes. at the end, they join forces. That's what I want to see. Yeah, David, totally. I want to see a load of different like gangs all with their like signature drift race style and their signature cars. Uh, I want to see like a tournament, a tournament arc and then they beat like the current big boss. Totally forgot the saying the word big boss made me remember this which is one of the funniest moments of the film is when we're introduced to D- we're jumping around so much but we're introduced <laughs> to dk's uncle because we know that dk as han says is like pretending to be a yakuza he's kind of just like chilling in his back room just doing like playing with cars and doing like minor buses things like that <laughs> straight up ryan gosling out of drive just like <laughs> playing with him yeah <laughs> he's also got a very neat desk he's got like this in, in the back of like a pachinko pilot but like he's got a very clean desk and he also has a folder he presents a folder to his boss, his uncle, who is the real Yakuza man. And his uncle is able to find out that Hans was stealing from him. But when his uncle walks in for the first time, he's dressed as Don Corleone. <laughs> it's, it's like, he totally you, is, but the, the fucking casting for that guy, I think I just love that guy's facial hair and his look. I was like, this guy looks really cool. But in terms of the fucking, the, the, the Don Corleone outfit is a big misstep. <laughs> so he's got the big cigar. He's got the hat. Like you're, you're, you're literally waiting for him to put like an orange slice into his mouth. <laughs> but what I would have loved is at the bit, there's a really great bit towards the end. Probably one of the highlights of the second half of the film is when uh, Sean goes to confront the Yakuza to challenge them to a race. So he goes down to kind of the Yakuza and you've got all the like Yakuza kind of like toughs in the alley. And they literally, yeah, again, they look like something from the Warriors. They're all got the, like the big like uh, dragon jackets on and the crazy hair. And obviously no one has guns. Everyone has like sticks and like samurai swords. And he eventually gets to go see uh, uh, um, DK's uncle. I would have loved instead of like DK's like, I'm gonna, I will beat him uncle. His uncle was like, no, I'll beat him. And he takes off his like, jacket and he's like, 
got like racing gloves on and he's got like this <laughs> sick drift guy and he was like the originator oh, of drift that's that's for the the invented drift oh that's for the sequel but, yeah yeah they have to beat the uh gk zoko they have to prove themselves to the inventor of drift f- fun fact though actually about the one of the original kind of pioneers of drift appears in the film do you remember the training montage with um yeah with uh, Sean and the thing. Remember those the two fishermen? fishermen? Yeah, yeah. The, one of the fishermen is the stunt coordinator and one of the best drift racers no in way. Japan. That's fantastic because there's Great. an implication in it when they're practicing in the kind of a fish market or whatever. He keeps saying, yeah, like, yeah. You call that drifting, which yeah. implies that this fisherman is like, it's either everyone in Japan knows about drifting or what's good drifting, like illegal street, or masters of this illegal street racing, or he's like, the original DK Drift King Donkey Kong. He, I think, I think, but the guy himself is truly. And then, like, when it, because once the training montage is over, which I always love a training montage, like, they're always fun. The only bummer is that, like, I wish it had more, like, him defeating the smaller uh, kingpins so he can finally work his way up to the top to go against uh, DK. But more races. They turn around and he's like, now that's a back called drifting and i was like fuck yeah dude this guy rocks (laughs) is drifting a japanese invention that seems to be implied by this film because sean has never even heard of drifting until he moves to tokyo i don't think it can be classified as a japanese invention because it is just doing handbrake turns but it's like well no i I I know the mythos is that it was invented on mount fuji like they used to just because the turns are like crazy like actually like in the film like those kind of like big like hard and are sure, like you should do the- that in the fucking do that in the fucking Wicklow Mountains, by yeah. Why didn't the Irish have been drifting? Yeah. I think we there's a big drift culture in Ireland, maybe oh, by, uh, but uh, there's a beautiful there's definitely there's a big there's a famous anime called Initial D, which yeah. came out I think in the 80s or early 90s, uh, which is like the archetypical kind of like drift, uh, uh kind of pop culture or touchstone. So it's definitely like it didn't begin with this film, like it's been around mm-hmm. for a while. I think like boy racer culture does originate from like that. There's a really beautiful scene um, where Sean asks the Australian girl, I feel bad I don't remember her name. Her name is Neela in the film. Neela. Which is, um, re- again, almost Sheila. Almost. They came quite close. <laughs> quite close. But uh, uh, He asks her cigar. why he's never seen her drift. And she says, because you never asked. And so she takes him drifting. She's in the driver's seat this time. And they're just going down the mountain, but there's about six cars in a row, all like doing um, coordinated drifting together. And it's a really lovely, peaceful song playing. It's a nice, soft blue light. It's just a very nice vibe. They're like, uh, back in high school. Yeah, she said like back in high school. You are still in high school. And it's like, (laughs) we didn't care what kind of cars we had. We were just coming out here. It was just about driving. What's it about now? I, I feel, sorry, Julie would get annoyed, Jimmy. As for her kind of like sub-in hosts, uh, if we didn't talk about fashion in this film. You know what? You're absolutely oh, right. But uh, we're going to take a quick break first. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the fashion of the Furious. Uh, meanwhile, we're going to hear all about Paul's breakfast. So we'll be right back after this. Good morning. This is Paul Miller showing you how I do my special weekend vegetarian breakfast. Okay, so there's many components to this breakfast, but I'm going to get started because the timings are pretty precise. So I'm going to start with opening up this oven, which I've preheated, and step one of the vegetarian fry is hash browns in the oven. Mmm, yeah. 
little bit of hash browns. Um, so they're going to take about 15 to 20 minutes in the oven. So it's a long process, it's a long process, which means that now I've got some time to just hang out before we begin step two. Next step in the deluxe vegetarian weekend breakfast is I'm going to start frying the halloumi. The hash browns have been flipped. They're back in the oven for their second session of uh, cooking. And now I'm going to put the halloumi into the pan. We got sizzle. Uh, oh, and spatter. Thanks. Um, would like to grill the halloumi, but the uh, oven's in use and also I have a grill pan. And it's a pain to wash. Listen, it's a weekend. Give yourself a treat. Don't do any washing up. Um, and so that begins step two. And after that, we're going to start frying some eggs. Okay, through the magic of editing, uh, we are now in the future. And my halloumi has now been flipped. It's golden brown on one side, so, which means it's now time to move on to the eggs. Um, I'm going to be frying my eggs. Normally, I would scramble, uh, but at the beginning of the pandemic, I got really into scrambling eggs, eating them every day. I got really into doing them low and slow. And um, after the first few months, scrambling eggs became a 20 minute uh, process. And I don't, I began to kind of go off it at that point. Um, so normally as well, just at this point, I'd be prepping some avocado. I'd be mashing it with some chili flakes and black pepper and some lime juice. Um, having that on the side, don't have an avocado today. So could this be called a luxury? Vegetarian fry, not so much, but listen, uh, beggars, choosers, etc. And we're back for our Japanese-themed deluxe weekend vegetarian breakfast. Um, yeah, so I've served it up now. Uh, on the side, I've got some Ballymaloo relish. Uh, always a treat, deluxe ketchup. Uh, um, in addition to the missing avocado, sometimes I would jazz it up with a little bit of garlic mushrooms on the side. Listen, it's your weekend, it's your treat. Uh, now, got a cup of tea on the side, I'm ready to go. Uh, I'm gonna have coffee a little later, but I gotta buff this down because I've got a podcast to record. Want some sushi with your wasabi? And we're back. Paul, you uh, you mentioned you had some thoughts about the fashion of the Furious in this film. Oh, very strong thoughts. Yeah, it's um, it was great. You uh, listening to your previous episodes yourself and Julie are very uh, you you always focus on this great uh, the greatest kind of um, fashion statement of the early two thousands, which was the low rise jean. Um, and what I really like about this film is we see really uh, the rise of the low rise miniskirt. A lot of miniskirts in this film. In every variation as well, as in like low-rise miniskirt, low-rise miniskirt being worn over regular jeans, low-rise miniskirt being worn over low-rise jeans. Um, you know, it really is a, a, a fashion of excess in the, the Tokyo Underground mm. at the time. It's a frustrating film in that all the extras look so much cooler than the Yes, cast. absolutely. I entirely agree. Well, Sean's wardrobe is essentially a t-shirt and bootcut jeans every single uh, <laughs> day of shooting. But there's particularly in the American section when he's going to his first day at the new high school that hates Native Americans. He's going in and he's wearing like a Navy uh, t-shirt and a pair of jeans. 
and he's got his t-shirt tucked into his jeans and it really doesn't help the fact that he's such a narc like he looks like such a narc <laughs> for he his, looks uh, like he's 40 dude like, we're not for his penchant for illegal racing well that's, that's actually I actually forgot that's the plot line of the first Fast and Furious film like he's isn't it oh, that oh, he's yeah. an undercover um, yeah. Paul, Paul Walker's um, an undercover cop pretending to be a street racer but it's so funny because he's so blockheaded and unattractive like it's i can't think how they thought that he could fill the paul walker role in this film obviously han is a great kind of a surrogate for vin diesel you know because he's Mm. very different vibe just as charismatic really brings something to the role but i'm sorry like sean boswell uh not fashionable so many opera like he doesn't have any statement vests like uh paul walker does or I do think the, the best he looked in the film was when he put on his school uniform and that's very, true very man cool. i would i would have thought that would have been very kind of punk you know that the sort of uh if he had like by the end if he has like a pompadour or some shit when he's the drift king i mean obviously that's very like appropriation especially for this character but like man it would be I amazing just, if we had a Tokyo Drift sequel, as well as the Han prequel, of course, where now we meet Sean Boswell dressed as Don Corleone. He's, <laughs> he's taken over. He's not only the Drift King, he's the head of the Yakuza now as well. But Imagine, his favorite yeah, the next thing week, that he does, yeah, he just Sean... keeps asking people, but where are you really from? Is like, That's his fucking, <laughs> literally all he asks people in this fucking movie. It's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, Sean Boswell is in like a full yukata, but like tied at the waist, and he's got like a full like tiger tattoo on his back and he's oh got like uh, he's holding like a, he's got his like ceremonial samurai sword which after he loses a race he commits seppuku I'd love to see that but like he is he's such a kind of workshop focused group kind of made character like he's such a blank slate I, I like to read it as parody like and making fun of this guy you'd have to hate him Lil Bow Wow great fashion in this film really mm. some great looks some great yeah, do-rags man. Uh, he really is wearing the shit out of that school uniform, which looks very cool. They didn't lean too hard on the into the Japanese schoolgirl thing, which is nice to see. There is a weird moment, though, where Neela is talking to Sean and DK is like to Han, hey, what's he doing talking to my girl? Han is like, man, what's with you and these schoolgirls? <laughs> but it is funny because then like later on, DK's kind of henchman, the guy with the bleach blonde hair, who I have been referring to as Diddy Kong. And... <laughs> Fights little Bow Wow for selling him a broken iPod. But at that point, there's a bit like two people run to get Sean, and it's like, John, you gotta come help. And the two people are like Han's assistants, as in, like, there's a, uh, the guy who has That's an English the Australian accent. Guy. Yeah. And, he does, uh, and maybe he's Australian, and he does all the computers for like the, I don't know, the car computer, <laughs> the robot car. He does the robot car stuff. But he comes down and they're both in high school as well. Yeah. And then they run up and like Lil yeah. Bow is obviously in high school. But like Diddy Kong is in high school as well. And I was like, every single one of these people is in high school. But like DK must be in his like late 20s. Like get some friends your way. Diddy Kong has one of my favorite lines throughout this. He says, uh, he says, sorry, DK son, monkey didn't have his banana today. Or maybe that was Lil Bow Wow who said that. I can't remember. Yeah, Someone Bow says, Bow that, says that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Monkey didn't have his banana today. I was like, there is so many Donkey Kong references. Diddy Kong is like nailing. He he really like this guy really earned his fee so hard. Mm. Like he's so few lines yeah. in it. No one refers to him by name. He he has a name, but it's definitely never said out loud. He's giving it all all the time. Like the, the, in the fight with Little Bow Wow, he oh, fights man. with Sean, and then he ends it. But he does this weird thing where he pulls uh, as he's walking away. He's like, huh, 
And then he puts his fist up to his mouth and spits into his fist so that the spit like uh, scatters in Sean's face. And I was like, that's such a baller thing to do. He's a, Yo, yeah, he's a thug, man. He's and then he loses thug. in a race to Sean and I've never seen someone sell being angry about losing a race so, so well. He is like yeah. slamming his, uh, in a way I've only seen Donkey Kong do, is uh, <laughs> slamming the steering wheel and like screaming. And he's like tearing his like uh, racing harness off him. And he's just like, nah! I love it so much. Uh, I thought yeah. it did look like he was going to get Suzuki. That dude fucking rocks though. But he dies in the net. He he like Sean kills him in a race, or Han kills him when they're chased right before Han goes, isn't it? Oh, Doesn't yeah. he die in the car? Yeah, really. I'm not yeah. sure if he Because he's not at the end. He's I, yeah, I think he might. Fuck. I'm pretty there sure is he actually dies. Underrated... I'm like fucking DK is the leader. DK like does taking revenge for his mm, Diddy Kong. He's just been yeah, killed. That was his yeah. best friend. I would also like DK needed a bit more of a faction kind of a again black t-shirt black mm. jeans you know i would have liked some yeah. statement where maybe he dresses as michael corleone and <laughs> there's a kind of a, a, a kind of recurring extra in dk's crew who's this girl she's like i think the only one you could really make up but she's a harajuku girl so she has mm. like intense fake tan all over her face but none along her like eyes she's got like a kind of like adamant kind of a, a, a eye band of just like like untanned skin and I was like that's such a voice like she looks amazing this the extras are like I said really going for it do you guys recognize this when they're racing in the car park they have two girls whose job it is to say ready set and then someone else says go but it just hands to these two and they're like dressed the same way it's very cool that is yeah man who says go in that first race in the car park, another incredibly cool, instantly charismatic guy. I don't think we see him again, but um, I believe he we is so cool. He like, he like literally, he just like fucking pops his collar, looks around a little bit and just goes, go snaps his finger. I'm like, this guy fucking rocks. He needs to be the announcer for all these races from now on. Cause in the U S the fucking race at the beginning, dude, I still like the very beginning of that movie is classic all around. There's just a lady. She pulls a bra out from under her shirt and she throws it on the ground for the go. And you're like, God damn it. But you have this fucking slick ass guy with a nice, like nice black jacket on. He's just fucking snapping his fingers. Like a true, king it's so like, funny the discrepancy between how the like the men in the drift gangs the women dress like the women are in these like insane like uh, japanese subculture outfits with these mini skirts and these like crazy jackets and everything is covered in like glitter and sequins and all the guys are in like suits and just like with their like spiked hair and just like smoking it's great aesthetic really disappointing to see it didn't bleed into the the main cast but it's, it's really just like little bawa carrying the whole thing for the team han's clothes make sense but you know he's a chill guy you know nothing special nothing flashy and he lets the cars do the talking we're coming up to the end of the episode if you can believe it guys so we have time for a quick um, little recurring segment the fucked the married and the killed this film <laughs> uh, tokyo drift i don't know about you guys i think the words Tokyo Drift have sort of transcended this film. They've become their own thing. Um, I think it's one of the best sequel names of all time. And it's one of those things you can put at the end of a different sequel and it becomes funnier or cooler. So I've taken some classic kind of sequel subheadings and uh, I'd like to see which ones you'd like to fuck, marry and kill. So we have Tokyo Drift, of course, mm -hmm. 
We've got Electric Boogaloo <laughs> from Breaking 2. And we've got The Squeakwell, the classic. <sighs> so Fuck, Mary Kill, Tokyo Drift, Electric Boogaloo, and The Squeakwell. I got to say, like, Squeakwell, you know, it's 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 a pun as opposed to just like a fantastic evocative uh, um, statement like Tokyo Drift or Electric Boogaloo. Not as fun to say as well as Tokyo Drift or Electric Boogaloo. I'm going to have to kill Squeakwell. I think I'm going to fuck Electric Boogaloo because it's fun to say. It sounds like there's a lot of movement involved, uh, it's, but it doesn't sound like anything that is long lasting. It's electric. It's very, it's, it's quick. It's over. It's one and done. It's a pump and dump. So I'm going to have to marry Tokyo Drift. It's a city that never sleeps. It's for life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I got to say, Paul, I disagree with the, uh, with the choice on the squeakle. I Ooh. think, I think to be brutally honest, Electric Boogaloo for me, it's been kind of done to death. So I'm going to have to kill Electric Boogaloo. I'm sorry, gamers. But then, importantly after that, I think Tokyo Drift, I got to fuck Tokyo Drift. It's just like, it's clean, it's fun, it's classic, a great song. But I'm marrying the Squeakwell, baby. I say it way too much to not marry it. Wow. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry, gamers. I had to go for it. And also, there's something, there's there's a joke, there's a joke about Alvin and the Chipmunks, or just a meme image about Alvin and the Chipmunks that makes me laugh so much. And it's one... (laughs) that I'm not going to get into it here, but there are the three chipmunks are sitting on the couch. Um, oh I'm sure God. if anyone knows it, they'll know the rest of it. But I find it way too funny <laughs> to not choose the squeak. I, I exclusively know that meme in reference to the, the Evangelion girl. Oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. We've got a, a second round of Fuck, Marry, Kill. Fucked, married, and killed, excuse me. This is the third city a Fast and Furious film has taken place in. They've really been globe hopping here. So out of the three cities featured so far, we've got LA, Miami, and Tokyo. Really globe trying. We've got two countries. (laughs) (laughs) Let me think. Um, Yeah, that's a tougher one. Three cities I've never been. Miami's a very particular vibe. I I think it's one that I am not accustomed to. You know, beach living, it's a, you know... You've got that kind of weird uh, mix of like hired people and like thrill seekers. It's it's really at risk of being destroyed by climate change. So mm. I might have to kill Miami. Then then it gets a little tough. I'm thinking I'm gonna have to uh, marry Tokyo. It's it's reliable. It's got great infrastructure. Uh, public transport is very reliable. It's clean, efficient. You know it's gonna be it's it's gonna be going for a while. Also, you've got the Olympics coming up. That's like a pretty exciting. It's an international city. You know, it's the biggest city in the world. Why would you ever say no? L.A. It's grimy. It's dirty. It's glamorous. It's, it's Tinseltown, baby. Well. Um, it's but the traffic, the traffic, the traffic. So listen, traffic. you know, I'm fucking and getting out of there. All right, <laughs> you know, you know, I'm gonna avoid the six. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree entirely with your reasoning there, Paul. I think Miami, I don't like the vibe. I'd say it'd nearly be too hot, per se. Whereas Tokyo, you'll have like proper seasons and shit. And then uh, for a marriage, it's got to be Tokyo. Like you got, you can have like fun areas in Tokyo, but you also have these more chill, more like kind of residential areas. But then like Los Angeles, I totally agree. Not that I've been there or anything, but like, you know, have some fun there, but I would never, never want to retire in somewhere like Los Angeles. I mean, beautiful beaches, don't get me wrong, but like, it's got to be, it's got to be Marion Tokyo and I'll fuck, I'll fuck Los Angeles. 
I've also never been to any of these places. Well, actually, that I was in Miami when I was a very young child. We went to Florida on a on a crazy holiday that was so much fun. And for so long, I was so confused as to why Americans seem to hate Florida. Because for me, it was great. It was just you know water parks and universal studios. alligators and <laughs> alligators. Yeah. But I had a wonderful time there when I was eight or nine. I've never been to Japan, although I thought I had for a long time because my family went to Paris when we were small. And I don't know if you've seen Rugrats in Paris, but the oh, Rugrats yeah. go to Paris. But it really seems like they go to Japan. So that really messed me up as a child. I thought France and Japan were the same for much too long. But I think uh, I'm on the same boat as you guys. You know, Miami, it seems to be more for older people. So, you know, maybe somewhere to retire. But um, for now, I just got to kill it. Fuck L.A. and marry Tokyo. That's good, Joey, because there is a, a, a scourge of rat-related deaths in Miami. Is that true? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The people putting buckets on things and uh, uh, rats eating through people's organs. It's uh... <laughs> to be honest, nothing that horrible happened in, in Tokyo Drift. To be honest. No, there was no torture scenes. Which... Very little crime. To be honest, it, all the yeah. crime is implied. Well, unless you count street racing as a crime, but I say that's mm. a crime. A crime, <laughs> a crime of what? Sorry, passion. Of course. <laughs> Uh, guys, we are coming to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for coming on. I'd just love to hear your overall thoughts, your overall ratings of the film. We usually give the film both a fast rating and a furious rating. Love this film. Well, no, I love the first half of this film. I think the first half of this film is, is simply magical. It subverts mm. the Fast and Furious genre, sets it to a new location and tempo in a really uh, skilled style. Uh, it's stylish, looks great isn't afraid to uh, not take itself too seriously. Second half really begins to lag. I say the first one, first half of this film really benefits from kind of subverting the Fast and Furious ethos. Second half of the film suffers from not committing to the Fast and Furious ethos. It kind of reeks of missed opportunities as we talked about, but these could be righted in a sequel or a prequel. I want to see this hand prequel. So I'm going to say that when it comes to Fast, a lot of racing, maybe not enough racing, but the racing that is in this film is is great and very stylish i'm gonna give this it, it's speed of light fast it's it's wow. super fast as i said you know the criminal aspect of it not hugely there the action it's lacking it's more of a vibes film listen we're looking at the people here as opposed to you know explosions helicopters etc bridge jumps not that furious i'm gonna say it's a, a like a mid-tier sumo wrestler match furious you know it's there, but it's not, you know, prime territory. It's like uh, sometimes they're kind of going through. Them. Overall, very, very fast. Quite furious, just the right amount of furious. Enough fury. Yeah. I, I think, actually, that's, this is some very good points, though, but I, I'll probably go fucking, you know, warp speed fast because fuck me, man. The races in this, all the amount of practical effects and everything. I know there's all that funny CGI stuff, but even the CGI stuff is fast. Like, they're fucking flying through these different flip phones and shit rocks. I think fast is going to be very, very high on the scale, but furious, like, the one thing, there is one bit in it that is, like, pr pr primo curiosity is the homie with the bleached hair in the car after the thing. Mm. But I don't think it reaches those heights because that guy's kind of carrying the fury. DK has a little bit of fury. Like, I think he, he's he got it. Like, he's got it to a certain degree. Like, when he has the gun and he's like, you betrayed me to Han. I think 
that's it's more quiet maybe it's fury it's a quiet fury so i think it does get more of a like a, a reserved fury like i think it could have gone maybe further in a lot of ways that paul was saying and i think if they just if they fully committed to taking the piss out of this main out of this protagonist and maybe just having like anything in the way of a, a, a backstory for for nila or something you know <laughs> or anything i mean her but yeah i don't know it's a it's a it's an americano snickers oishi from uh bow wow for me personally <laughs> <laughs> you wonder yeah, this, this, this film is uh seven broken ipods out <laughs> of vending machine <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be two canned coffees out of that uh, five on the fury meter for me. The interesting thing, first race, those that scale is flipped. The American race yeah. is all too furious, not as fast as it could have been. Ludicrous. Anyway, I gotta admit, guys, when I watched this film, I did not really like it. I didn't have a great time, and I put in my notes. I would say like this is forty miles an hour and furiosity like wet noodle. but then having talked to you guys about it i'm rethinking my my stance i don't know if it's just because you guys are enjoyed it so much it's really made me think about it in a whole new light i love what you said about how it flipped from america to japan how the vibes completely changed i'm just reevaluating how great diddy kong was i already loved han no problems with han so yeah i think you've really taught me to appreciate this film a lot more See, the thing is, when I think of the film now, I'm actually, I'm more thinking about the scene where they're drifting down the mountain and how peaceful and beautiful it looks. Mm. And it's not Mm. all that fast or furious. So I'm going to say like... uh, It's very Tokyo Drift. It's very Tokyo Drift. It's very Tokyo Drift. (laughs) I'll give it 60 miles an hour and we're furious rating. It's just, it's pieced out chill vibes from me. You know, yeah, it is the greatest samurai who lets his sword rust in its scabbard. Uh, I think that's how the fury works in this film. I feel like when it tries to go for that high octane shit in the final act is when the movie really falls apart. And it is like the campy, stupid shit of the beginning that Paul likes. And that really reserved scene on the drift with Neela is like, now this is pod racing. And like, it's amazing. <laughs> Um, Jimmy, before we wrap up, could we get a quick Maeve check on this? What did she think of this movie? Maeve, actually, she said she couldn't quite decide if she liked this or Too Fast, Too Furious more. And she loved Too Fast, Too Furious. She gave it four and a half stars out of five. I actually, I felt bad then because I said, I didn't really like this one that much. And I think uh, she kind of was like, "Uh, yeah, it wasn't actually that good. I feel like I might have influenced her opinion a bit. But no, she had a great time. Amelia also watched it with us, a housemate. And she, even though she missed the last 10 minutes, um, she had a great time. She gave it three and a half stars on Letterboxd. So, um, and she didn't even see the DK Mountain scene. I mean, maybe she's better off for not seeing. She might be better off, dude. She might be better off. Except for, I mean, if only the flip phones do save that scene, but like, all in all, tension wise, I I, I didn't want Sean to win really, you know? So the next film in the series we'll be watching is uh, is just called Fast and Furious. They've taken out the verse, and I believe this is where Both we go back to Vin Diesel, um, but Han, Han is now part of the gang. We're getting Paul Walker as well. Do you have any predictions for what might happen next in these films? Well, from the title alone, I'm going to say that this is going to be a back to basics Fast and Furious. Mm. I think there's going to be no sets, uh, uh, no characters apart from Vin Diesel, Paul Walker, and Han. And I'm expecting an hour 50 
of them just driving in the desert, no scenery whatsoever, um, in a straight line, no dialogue whatsoever, <laughs> just looking to each other every so often and giving a slight kind of nod, acknowledging each other and the kind of beauty of this moment. And they're hitting like they're hitting like a 120 miles per hour, just booking it through the desert, no obstacles, no turns, straight line, and it's that for an hour fifty. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I, I think my my prediction would just be maybe after the big success of, of NOS in this film, I think there's going to be more NOS in the next one. There's been so much NOS throughout these three films so far, so I can only see them adding more. <laughs> there was also a lot more uh, shots of people moving the gear stick in this. Um, big part of drifting. Yeah, I feel like we're going to get more of people close-up shots of their hands on the gear stick and on the what's oh the it's road? probably because in america they're driving automatics oh yeah oh wow i, well, I think if think you're a that. serious race car driver you've got to drive a manual but i assume a lot of them driving automatics in a straight uh, line but in a drag race you need to have a gear stick listen i don't have a driver's license <laughs> <Me either. laughs> you, do you have a driver's license dave no we all don't <laughs> <laughs> Um, guys, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having us, Jimmy. If you've been listening to the podcast and you're also watching the movies along, uh, we're taking a little break from the series for the next episode and we're going to watch Pixar's Cars. Just uh, every now and then we want to take a bit of a break from Fast and Furious and watch some other films that have something to do with cars or breakfast. So if you'd like to join us in the watch long, we'll be watching Pixar's Cars. Boys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Any final words? But Jimmy, thank you so much. And if you ever find yourself in the top floor of Tokyo Tower, swing by the penthouse. Uh, our sliding door is always open. We will say Irishai Mass to you. And to you. Breakfast and Furious has been brought to you by Club Valentine Podcasts. Hosted by Jimmy Kavanagh and sometimes Julie Duffy with a theme song by Owen Potts. Be sure to check out Club Valentine Comedy on all the socials. And as always, happy Valentine's Day. Want some sushi with your wasabi? <laughs>